0: Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, You can have a seat. My name is Brandon. I am one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. It's great to see you. Uh, You already met uh, one of our other pastors, uh, Mike. Uh, in uniform up here, uh, which was great to see Mike. Uh, in case you didn't know, uh, Mike not only serves us faithfully, uh, but is also a reserve army chaplain, and so uh, he uh, snuck away from reserve duty just a little bit this morning to be with us. Uh, so it was good to see Mike here uh, as well this morning. We're starting a new series today uh, called Transformed uh, in Community. We're gonna spend three weeks in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. Uh, please, at Mercy Hill, you are more than welcome to use your uh, phone or Bible app or whatever you got. Print copy. We're going to put the scripture on the screen. Uh, we, want, we want you to uh, uh, see the Bible for yourself, uh, and so we want to try to make sure that's available to you. We do have some Bibles in the back if you need one. Uh, we'd love to get you one of those Bibles in the back. If I, in fact, Mike's back there, so if you need a Bible, you can just lift up your hand. He'll bring you one, and we'll make sure that you get one. All right. Well, um, everybody okay today? Everybody good? Good, good, good. Uh, It seems like everywhere uh, we turn, there are all of these people promising us life transformation, especially on the internet, right? Every ad that pops up on YouTube, Facebook is a promise of life transformation. So the latest diet plan promises that you could easily lose those extra pounds, Get a Peloton. It will transform your physical body. Tech company is promising your business. You're going to run much smoother if you just upgrade to our latest and greatest groundbreaking software. Your friend has convinced you that this multi level marketing company is different. And if you just recruit your other friends, you're going to make life transformational type of money. Everyone seemed to promise Tennessee fans this time it was going to be different. It's the only one. I'm only going to do it once. That was it. Play Powerball. Actually, in the advertisements for Powerball, their their tagline is that it is life-changing money. I've been tempted, it's $1.9 billion. Those are a lot of dollars right now. Romans chapter 12 opens with life transformation. That's where Paul starts. What it actually looks like for our lives to be transformed. So pick up with me verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which he says is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So verse one, Romans chapter 12, he starts with worship. This idea of worship is the exaltation of someone or something. What we worship shows what we value the most. It's what holds worth in our lives. So what Paul says when it comes to this idea of transformation, where it starts is with worship. What we celebrate, what we glory in, what we exalt, what we make much of, what we value is of utmost importance in determining the kinds of people that we are. And so he says, particularly in verse 1, he uses this phrase, spiritual worship. Some versions would say reasonable service or true and proper worship. R.C. Sproul says this is logical worship. So what he means is, verse 1 ends with spiritual worship, The reason that verse one ends with spiritual worship is because it starts somewhere else. That the end of the verse in worship is simply a response, a reasonable or logical response to what is happening earlier in verse one. So let's look back at it. The first phrase, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So he's talking to people who belong to the family of God. And he says, I appeal to you, I urge you, I'm pleading with you to respond. And respond to what? By the mercies of God. That our response in worship of God is just our logical or reasonable response to what God has done. To his mercy. Well, What's God done? Well, Paul just spent in the book of Romans 11 chapters explaining what God has done. He's done it in amazing ways, but we could just summarize it very simply what he says in verse five or chapter five, that while we were sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us in sending his son Jesus to save us. That God out of his mercy didn't wait for us to get everything straight, to get cleaned up, to be perfect sort of people, but God in his mercy came to us Jesus the son to rescue us from sin, he says that's God's mercy, meaning God just gave it. We didn't deserve it in any way. God just did it of his own initiative. And so Paul says, for that reason, we should worship. We should make much of God. There is um, nothing worse on the face of the planet than an unreciprocated response to the words, I love you. You ever been in a moment like this? Some of you college students, young adults, it might not have been too long ago. When you finally work up the courage to tell that significant other, to say those three words, you're thinking things are going well. After all, right? Man, you, you, you got the large size Slurpee at the QT. You're the kind of person people really, really want to be in love with and what? Take a risk and you say, I love you. And then the other person says, thank you. Or perhaps even worse, wow, that's really great. And you feel crushed on the inside. It just doesn't quite cut it. Here's what Paul said. Jesus is coming, dying, rising again, and inviting us into the very family of God through believing in him. Is God saying, I love you this much, and it is only reasonable for us to go, yes, and I love you too. An unbelievable response. But how we respond in worship is what is very distinct in this verse. What we typically think of when we think of worship, perhaps as a church gathered together like this in a dark room with perfect lighting, unless you come to Mercy Hill, then it's like, okay, good enough lighting, right? Great music, the band leading us in songs, we're singing. Perhaps you think about praying together, hearing from, from the scripture. These are all definitely worship, but that's not the full definition that Paul gives in verse one. He says, worship looks like this. It says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he starts with this phrase, your bodies. What he means there is your whole self. Now in the ancient world, and increasingly more so in our modern world, it is being taught that there's a dichotomy between the spiritual and the physical that your body just houses who you are, that's not the real you, but that's not the biblical viewpoint at all. We're not just spiritual beings housed in bodies, that our bodies are a part of our whole selves, that who we are physically, spiritually, and emotionally can't be unwound from each other. And so Paul says, you take everything about yourself, your whole entire self, and what I want you to do is be a living sacrifice. All of you. Not just a part of you that comes to church on Sunday mornings. or not just a part of you that occasionally reads your Bible. We're not just a part of you that's emotionally stirred by music. He's saying every single part of you is engaged in worship, your whole self. And then he uses this phrase, a living sacrifice. Now, this imagery is supposed to remind us of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would give sacrifices, sometimes grain, sometimes animals, bulls, goats. And of course, on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, they would make the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb. And in fact, this isn't incredibly unique Most religious practices have some sort of ritual around sacrifice. So even pagans at this time, if the rain wasn't coming, you would make a sacrifice to the God of the rain to get rain. If the crops weren't growing or the harvest looked thin, you would make a sacrifice so the crops would increase. If you were having trouble having a child, you would make a sacrifice so that you would grow in your fertility. But all of this is based on this idea that if I give up something, then God will be happy with me. And if God's happy with me, I'll get what I want. It's like God quid pro quo. I give God what he wants, and God gives me what I want in return. So the sacrifices were intended to please God in order to get what I really wanted, which wasn't necessarily God. Rain, crops, harvest, a child, you understand? But Paul has something different in mind here. He says when we submit our entire selves to God, it's not a one-time sacrifice where you are completely dead afterwards, but it's a living sacrifice. Not a final time offering of an animal, but a daily offering of our selves. And this is the first transformation that happens in this passage. That our worship... Would be transformed from periodic ritualistic sacrifice to our worship to our worship being the everyday sacrifice of our lives. He's saying worship is a lifestyle, not an event. It's not only the sacrifice of getting up early on a Sunday morning, getting the kids dressed, herding them into the car, finding the one that's not there, making sure the shoe that is missing ends up on the wrong kid, then getting here, singing songs of worship. But he's saying the sacrifice is starting every day in worship. Acknowledging that this day belongs to God, that we ourselves belong to God, that it is an everyday offering of our entire selves. This important distinction that we can't forget, that in these, that these sacrifices we make aren't responding to the demands of the gods or to negative circumstances we're responding to God already giving us what we really wanted to begin with. That what was missing from our lives was a relationship with God. Jesus brought us into relationship with God. And so we, because of his mercy, go, then you get it. Every day is a day where I live for you, God. This is a massive transformation Because the truth is, most of our lives uh, are not marked by worship of God. Uh, Most of our lives is marked by worship of ourselves. That most of the time, we're just preoccupied with our own wants or needs, dreams, desires, next steps, that our lives are really like a reality TV show where the camera is always following us. Most of our lives are like the 12-year-old version of me playing basketball in the driveway. You remember, anybody, you may remember doing this? Nichols has the ball, crossover dribble, right? Leaves the defender behind, buckles his knees, pulls up at the three-point line. Three, two, one. He shoots. He scores, the crowd goes wild, Nichols does it again, right? No one ever created that scenario in their brain about someone else, right? None of us were like, my friend down the street, he shoots, ha! Ah. But we have inside of us this predisposition to think that life is about what? What? us. And so, Paul reminds us that's not what worship is. And in fact, and don't miss this, this might be the most important thing, that while most of our worship might be quid pro quo, we say or do what's required to get what we actually want. The gospel is He's already explained through Romans is the exact opposite. It's the reversal of this pattern. That we didn't come to make a sacrifice so that God would be pleased with us, but God sacrifices first. God loves firsts. God extends his mercies firsts. That God has already given what we have been after our entire lives. We know him. We've been brought into a relationship with him. We've been forgiven of our sins. And then we respond in worship. We respond when we give. Our sacrifice is our response to the mercies of God. And so our daily lives are responding in this way. We shouldn't just sing the song. Our lives should say, praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness and new every morn. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. And so the more we let that seep into our lives, we just start to simply think about us less. We become less preoccupied with ourselves, with exalting ourselves, making much of ourselves, proving ourselves. Let's don't forget, exalting myself is what got me in trouble with sin in the first place. More time than exalting or making much of God. So we can say it this way. Worship is a lifestyle that is marked by self-sacrifice, not self-exaltation. That's what we're getting after. That we are tuned to self-exaltation, and worship happens when we sacrifice ourselves in response to God's mercies instead of exalting ourselves. Paul Bilheimer says it this way: "One of the greatest values of praise here is one of the greatest values of praise. It decentralizes self. The worship and praise of God demands a shift of center from self to God. One cannot praise God without relinquishing the occupation with self. Praise produces forgetfulness of self. And forgetfulness of self is health. We soon discover spiritual health has its root in divine adoration. Another way to say this. If you want to transform who you are, it starts with who you worship. If you want to transform who you are, it starts with who you worship. And so our worship starts and ends with God. It starts with God's mercies towards us, the message of the gospel, and ends with my exaltation of God, his glory. But there's a problem, and here's the problem. Uh, This way of life, this sort of transformed life, is out of step with nearly everything you and I have ever been taught in our entire lives. It's not the way the world works. So verse 2, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. The word conformed is the idea of being pressed into a mold. And the world doesn't mean a geographic place. It means age or the present time. And so he's saying there's a pattern of life that corresponds to the age in which we live, and there's immense pressure all around us for us to fit into that pattern or into that mold. Now, I'm not an engineer. Most of you are like, we know that, right? Yeah, we've, we've seen what you do, yet we know you don't have that sort of brain. And I don't understand quite the process of molding plastic, but I've read some about it. What I read says that there's four different ways to create a mold. It's compression, pressurize something until it fits into a mold, melt molding, where you heat something, a transfer mold, and an injection mold. And all involve similar elements. You have a mold, a pattern that you're trying to copy, material, you take that material, usually plastic, high pressure, high heat, put it into the mold, and then rapidly cool it, and it becomes whatever you uh, shape corresponding to the whatever mold that you put it in. The primary means of conformity in our world is how we think about ourselves. Think about it. Every bit of messaging that you receive is aimed at who you are, your identity. Every advertising campaign is a conformity, a molding of you, targeted at the tension between who you are right now and who you want to be. You want to lose 20 pounds? Do this. You want to become a better husband? Do this. You want to rise to the top of your business? Here's what you do. At the end of the day, all of those things are conforming us around who we are and who we want to be. Find your group, find your passion, achieve. I read an article in Huffington Post describing life transformation. It's like seven reasons. Number six was live differently. And I was like, if it was that simple, I wouldn't need seven things. This doesn't make a lot of sense. The mold of our day is self-exaltation. You, 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 me, 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 me. Why? That's the heart of sin. That's Genesis chapter 3. So the Bible tells us is the very pattern of our lives set at the beginning of the world. That humans want to place themselves above God. And we have for ages and generations passed down this sort of conformity, self exaltation. But Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transform comes from the word we use, metamorphosis. It obviously just means a radical change in form, a different process from being conformed. Metamorphosis is often biologically used to describe when an insect goes into a cocoon and comes out as a completely different sort of being. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of trying to explain to a preschooler what the butterfly used to look like, but it is baffling, right? Because it doesn't make any sense. You're like, wait wait, wait! A thing that looked like that, like hairy with multiple legs, antennas, went into this cocoon-like contraption and came out on the other end able to fly with beautiful wings. One thing scares me, one thing I really love. Paul says that's the sort of transformation that happens for followers of Jesus. The transformation that looks radically different. When my entire life has been based on self-exaltation, that all of a sudden I come out exalting and glorying someone else. How? How can we be transformed in that way? He just gives us one phrase, by renewing your mind. He says, if you and I will change the way that we think and what we think about, then that starts to change who we are. If the predominant Means of conformity in the world is how we think about ourselves, then the way that transformation comes into our lives and we change the way we think about ourselves. You go, that's a little abstract, Brandon. Give me an example. Good news, Paul's already given us an example. Romans chapter seven, at the very end of the chapter, he writes this. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For he says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody been there before? Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. I want to please God, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who, he says, will deliver me from this body of death. Now this passage seems a lot more like my everyday life than a worship service. This seems like what I experience on a normal basis, an inward war inside of me. Where I have been changed, I am a new creation. I want to please God, but I have defined in myself competing desires that want me to disobey God. And this is where I most often live. Exalting myself, even though I want to be exalting Jesus. I love Jared Wilson when he says this. Every day, he says, I wake up into Romans 7. Every daggum day, my alarm goes off and I sit up in bed and my uncoffied consciousness groggily gearing up for sins, both of omission and of commission. So, what I don't do and what I do do, and he says, I'm engaged in the flesh before I even get my feet on the carpet. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? But check this out, verse 25. Remember he said, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He worships. What? He's like, I find myself not being, obeyed to being able to obey God. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to give God thanks for Jesus and what he's done for me. Now, remember, this is important. There's no chapter divisions in Paul's letter to Romans, right? People went back and added those later. So guess what he says in verse uh, chapter 8, verse 1. So the very next sentence. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's he giving thanks to God for? For Jesus. Why? Because what has Jesus done? Jesus has freed him from any condemnation that comes from the competing desires inside his heart. This is how we renew our minds. We move from what we've done, Romans 7, our sin and ourselves, to what God has done, Romans 8. Transformation happens when I replace what I think about myself, who I am, with who Jesus is and what he's done. Jared again says it a different way. He says, You introduce the truth of Romans 8 to every corner of the room, every dark place in your heart, as often as you can, as much as you can, and as fiercely as you can. Praise God. That's the way that we are transformed. We are transformed to live a life of worship, By daily reminding ourselves as early as we can and as often as we can of the good news of Jesus. That good news is more powerful than dwelling on our sins, more effective than filling our hearts with guilt and shame. It's more transformational than being conformed to the pattern of this world. It bears more fruit in your life than any self-help book will ever. It brings more transformation than the latest, greatest, new product. It is the very power of God renewing our minds. So every morning, when you and I are tempted to live an entire day exalting us, we drag ourselves out of bed knowing that our brains are already set to Romans 7, this inward battle, and we preach Romans 8 to ourselves. No guilt for me today, no shame today, no condemnation today, no trying to prove myself today, no self-justification today. Today is the day where I renew my mind and remember Jesus paid it all. And so today, all to him owe. And then the last phrase. He says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. I love college students. Question I get most often from college students is how do I know God's will for my life? Right? I got to pick a degree program. I got to decide what I'm going to do for employment. I'm trying to figure out if I'm supposed to date this person or not date this. Right? It's all like feels big and heavy questions. Here's what Paul says. You want to know God's will for your life? You start with who God says you are. You start with renewing your mind. The more you fill your mind with what God says, and the less you fill your mind with what you think about what you're supposed to do, the more you'll understand what God does. How do I know my wife Kristen's will? It's baffling at times, but I figured out a couple of things. I think at this point, 18 years of marriage, I can order something she's going to like at a restaurant. Why? Because I've heard her order at a restaurant 18 years worth. It has nothing to do with my ingenuity or my intellect. My ability to peer into her soul, it has one thing and one thing only that's based on. I've just heard her do it. I've heard her say the order. And so if we go somewhere, I might swing and miss. Probably not, though. I might not hit a home run. Chances are pretty good I'm going to get on base with the order, right? Why? Because I've heard it. That's what Paul's saying. You want to know what God wants for your life? Listen, 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 listen. Scripture, 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 scripture. Gospel, 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 gospel. That's what it is. So here's what I think I would imagine. Uh, There's a group of people in here today, maybe watching online, that you're just thinking like, man, I need this. I've been pressed into conformity to what everybody else wants for my life. And not only has it not worked, but I feel like I'm losing myself. The reason is because you are. You were created to function in a relationship with God. You were not created to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And so if that's you today, what you need is Jesus. That today would be the day where you would place your faith in Christ. You say, I'm tired of exalting myself, making myself the center of my world, and I'm ready to trust Jesus. Now, some of us today are maybe thinking, I've heard this before. For crying out loud, Brandon, I grew up going to church. I got four youth group t-shirts with this verse on it. And if that's you today, I would just remind you that this is not a one-time process where you go to youth camp and get the t-shirt and then you're good. The truth is that you and I, both even those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, the way that we continue to be transformed is exactly the same as when we start. That when I wake up feeling puffed up with my accomplishments from the previous day, I need to be reminded, Romans 7, Romans 8. When I wake up filled with guilt and shame from the events of the previous day, that I have to remind myself there's now no condemnation for me. And when I wake up in the morning, fearful of what lies ahead, (laughs) what might happen in the rest of the day, I bind my confidence again to the work of Christ. For those of us, no matter how many times we've heard it, the response is still the same. To wake up tomorrow morning as early as I can, And remind myself of the good news of Jesus. And then to live throughout the rest of the day as often as I can, reminding myself of the good news of Jesus. And so I could not encourage you more, believer, to remember that your worship, your everyday worship, begins and ends with God. And if you want the end to be God-exalting, then the beginning has to be God-exalting. And so persist in those disciplines of reading the scripture in prayer. Confront yourself with the truth about who God says you are as early as you can. Then respond in prayer and allow those things to change, to bring a metamorphosis into your life every day. Because worship, what we do here is so important and we love it. One of my favorite things we do every week is gather together. Worship together corporately. Worship is also an everyday event. And it is based on our willingness to either exalt ourselves, worship us, to give over to self-sacrifice and worship to God every day. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.